Hey, good morning, Cypress Bible Church, and happy Easter. Would you stand together with us? We also want to welcome those online. Thank you for worshiping with us on this very special morning. We come to worship the Lord, to sing His praise. So lift your voice with us as we sing this together.
All right, I know that Josh just asked y'all to take a seat. I'm going to ask y'all to stand up and say hi to someone around you. It's okay, we can do that. Awesome. Please feel free to take a seat again, getting your squats in this morning. Well, welcome to Cypress Bible Church. My name is Jonathan Chang, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And what a glorious morning that we get to worship together. Let's give a hand for the Lord again. If this is your first time here, if you notice on the back of the pews, we have a QR code. Um, and if you've been here for a very long time as well, the QR code is there for you too. If you have any prayer requests, if there is anything that we can do to serve you, we encourage you to snap it. It's okay. And then we will find a way to link up with you as you follow through the prompting that it gives. Here at Cypress Bible Church, we really have some values that we like to use to define us as a church family. And number one is we gather. We gather together as a church family to worship the risen Lord. You can cheer for that. It's okay. <laughs> Lots of cheering today. No excuses today. We also grow. We grow in our small groups. We grow in community as we seek to become more like Jesus every day in our faith journey. And because of that, we go together. We go and tell people about the risen Savior. And, what, and the way those all work together for us within the context of our church family is we serve one another to build and equip this church family and so I do want to let you know if uh, you're new here and this is your first time here and, and you're feeling kind of, ooh, this is a little intimidating, I just want to tell you, you're in the right place. Because wherever you are in your journey, you are welcome here and we value you and we want to come alongside you in that process. Even if you have a child here today that may cry a little bit, it's okay. We are a family and if you do or if you are concerned about that, we do have a cry room in the back, but I encourage you to stay in here. We like to hear babies cry. It's okay. And so along with that, today after this service ends, we do have Stations of the Cross in our gym building. Uh, and so that will be open until 1230. If you haven't gone through yet, it is an awesome, awesome work of how uh, an amazing team led by Evan Wepler put together the stations of the cross leading up to Jesus' death. And today we celebrate his resurrection, so it's kind of like going back in time, but we know what's going on. I do want to call up uh, the team that is going to South Africa. Uh, as we talked about going and proclaiming the truth of Jesus to all who need to hear, we're doing that. And so I'm excited that my friend, my brother Tony, is taking a team of people to South Africa, and he's going to let you all know what's going on. All right. We're going to... Uh... We're going to commission our team this morning, and so uh, as we know that there, there are places around the world that people don't know that Jesus is risen, 
that he has defeated sin and death. And so we go on behalf of you as representatives of Cypress Bible Church and ultimately representatives of, of God. And so we want to commission this mor- uh, team this morning. Uh, so South Africa, we uh, have a partnership there with Jeremy Sieberhagen, and we've adopted a township of about a half a million people. And our goal is that every person in that township would hear and know the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would have access to discipleship and healthy church. Uh, when I started talking with Jeremy, he said, hey, what if we planted a church? I said, it's not enough. I said, we want every person in this township to hear the gospel. And so we go on behalf of Cypress Bible Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry in that township, uh, that we could say that there's no place left in this community, and that we would develop a model that all of South Africa and all of Africa would just be a tidal wave that would flood that country, that, that continent, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, if you'll join me, we are going to pray for this team. Uh, the Millers, uh, Don and Carol, are already in South Africa for Pray for Them. Uh, if you want to pray with us during our trip, there are prayer calendars out on the Go Kiosk. Uh, and it's a calendar that has specific things that you can be praying for us in scriptures. So we would, uh, we would covet that from you to, to pray with us as we, as we go. And Laura and Kim are also going to join us. Uh, so pray with me. Uh, Father God, we we come into your presence this morning. We thank you uh, that we get to represent you in the world. That as Jesus has demonstrated his power over sin and death, he sends us in that same power to share your gospel. And so as we go as your ambassadors, Lord, we pray that your hands would be upon us, that you would bless us and guide us and protect us and give us everything that we need to establish your kingdom in Motherwell as it is in heaven. And so we commission this team this morning in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tony. Church, we have another special opportunity right now. We're going to invite all of the children to come up here for a special children's message that Pastor Evan's going to lead. So five, fifth grade and under, y'all come on up. And church family, would you welcome these kiddos and encourage them as they come up and join Pastor Evan here? Thanks, Josh. And as you guys are coming down, my friend Miss Lisa is going to pass out. Do you want to grab the basket? And she, we got a little gift for you guys. And so she's got a little basket with some bracelets in there. And so she's going to make sure everyone gets one. Okay, but y'all can come on down and come on down and come on down and come grab a seat. Happy Easter, everybody. So y'all can grab a seat real quick. Now, let me ask y'all a question. Have you guys ever gotten hurt before? Anyone gotten a bad boo-boo? Yeah. Anybody out there? And what adults? Y'all gotten a bad hurt before? See, I had a, a bad hurt one time. You see, I was playing ultimate frisbee at church, and I was guarding this really tall guy. He was like this tall, and I was trying to block him from making a shot with the frisbee. And I was jumping up and down, up and down, and I was jumping up when he threw the frisbee, and it hit me right in the nose, and I went down to the ground, and I hurt and my nose started to bleed and I was feeling really bad but you know what my friends came down and they were with me and they helped me and they got me an ice pack actually we didn't have any ice packs but they gave me a a rubber glove filled with ice and so as I was breathing in and out the glove was going (sighs) (sighs) but I had friends who were there who got down with me and helped me when I felt low have you guys ever felt low Have you ever felt sad, ever felt down before? You see, that's what we're remembering this Easter weekend. The disciples felt low. Mary Magdalene felt low. They felt so sad because their friend, their savior, Jesus, was gone. 
and they didn't know what to do. They felt like that he had left. But Jesus came because all of us have felt low. You see, the whole world, we all deal with sadness and hurt because of sin. And the whole world needed help. And so it says in the Bible that Jesus, who is the most high, everyone stand up, stand up. You see, Jesus is higher than anyone else. And it says that he came down. So everyone get low as you can. Get as low as you can. He came down and he served and he helped people. Get lower, get lower if you can. And he came all the way down. It says he went as low as death so that he could come back up and rise from the dead so that he could fill the whole universe. Awesome. Everyone stand back up and shout, he is risen. He is risen. Awesome. All right, sit back down. <laughs> Getting your morning calisthenics. You see, we can celebrate that Jesus loves us. And he promised in Matthew, I am with you. As we go out and tell other people about Jesus, that he is with us. See, Jesus loves you. He is with you. He is risen. Those are the words that we can tell people so that they might know Jesus. They, they might have their sins forgiven. And you know what? That's a job that you can do. So as you leave here today, you can stop by the basket and grab a bracelet. And it says, he is risen. And so as you leave the stage today, I want you to tell every person out here. You can tell your family. You can tell people sitting next to you. I want you to go tell them, Jesus loves you. He is with you. He is risen. Be, you can just be like the disciples. You can be like the women as they went out and told the good news. You can tell others the good news about Jesus. Do y'all think you can do that today? You can say, Jesus loves you. He is with you. He is risen. Say that with me. Jesus loves you. He is with you. He is risen. One more time. Jesus loves you. He is with you. He is risen. Awesome. All right. If you already got your bracelet, you can go back to your seats. If you want to grab a bracelet as you go, Mr. Tony is right there. Go grab a bracelet and go tell everyone the good news that he is risen. Amen. And church family, you can stand together with us now as we continue to sing our praise to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. 
Jesus for what he has done for us. Church, we have uh, come here today to focus and worship a glorious and a great Savior. If you are new to church, if this is your first time here, this is what we do. We gather as a body of believers in a person, in a person who is Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. He took all the bad things that we've ever done, put them on his shoulders. And he died, but then he rose again on three days. And this is the day, Easter, every year that we celebrate the anniversary of his resurrection. Yes, Lord. 
And he has saved us to a hope. And I want to read this scripture passage over you and with you. It says this in 1 Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. And this is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And now this is what we are saved to, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven. This is our blessed living hope. He is not dead. He is alive. And we worship a risen Savior. Sing along with us as we continue to worship together. The grave has no claim on me. 
today through the power and through the working of your Holy Spirit as you live inside of all of us who believe. And Lord, I pray right now that you would awaken our hearts to hear the truth of the word of God as it is shared with us. And Lord, would you pierce hearts and would you show us our incredible need for you? We love you. This is all for you. And it's in your powerful and strong name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Amen and happy Easter. This is Resurrection Sunday, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And today we finish this series on lessons from the Last Supper. Now, of course, Resurrection Sunday is not the same as the Last Supper, which was a few days earlier. But today we're going to be focusing on something called salvation. And I praise God that the naming of this sermon was done weeks ago without some things making sense to me at the time. Of course, you would expect a message on salvation on Easter Sunday, and I'm bringing it to you today. Actually, God's Word is bringing it to you today. And that being the case, before we dive in, I just want to pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you asking that you would open your mighty Word to our eyes. And not just to our eyes, Lord, but that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts of flesh, and not hearts of stone. We dedicate this time to you, Lord, and ask that you would speak to us, for we are listening, myself included, Lord. Be with us. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. This has been a six-week series, and as it's been six weeks, we were talking about the Last Supper and lessons from the Last Supper. And there were a lot of really great lessons from the Last Supper, but as a Bible teacher, 
I stand before you telling you this. In John 13 through 17, I did not cover everything. I didn't have time to, but guess what? You can go look into it because there's more than just these lessons. But let's rehearse these again. Remember that Jesus, on the night of the Last Supper, which was the Passover, he took off his outer robe. He tied a towel to himself. He took on the garments of a servant and he washed all of his apostles' feet, teaching them to serve one another. He also taught them a new commandment to love one another, not just to love one another, but to love one another as Jesus loved them. And so we are all called to love each other in the same way that Jesus loved us. We're also called to obey his commandments. We prove our discipleship by obeying his commandments. We are also privy to things that were unknown to us before as we obey. Because when you obey, God discloses himself more to you. You may wonder, I don't want to rehash every sermon, but this is good. You may wonder, why is it that I'm not getting these deep things? Well, maybe there's an area where you need to obey a little more. And then we learned he is the vine. We are the branches. And what's the purpose of a branch? To produce fruit. And in order to produce fruit, you must abide in Christ. And also we learned that as a body of believers, we are united in Christ. We are united. There's nothing anyone can do about all the denominational differences to keep us from being united in Christ. We already are united in Christ. But the other side of that united is that we must be united with each other. And that's where we struggle. Except not at CBC. Everyone agrees with everyone else at CBC. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's also get recalibrated to where we're at. Because today, we're going to be in John chapter 20. So if you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, we'll be there momentarily. But I want to talk about the background of the Gospels. And I don't want to talk about the background of the Gospels from some scholars' point of view, because some scholars think that they were written much later than they were. These things occurred in history, and we have the history of the earliest church at our disposal. You know we have writings of the earliest church fathers, the disciples of the apostles themselves, and you can find this information there, and that's where I go. If you want a, a cheat sheet, I recommend you go to History of the Church by Eusebius of Caesarea, Book 3, Chapter 24. That being said, the first gospel written was Matthew, and it was around in sometime in the 40s, and he wrote it in Hebrew originally. This is what the history says. It was written in Hebrew and then later translated into the Greek. But he gives us, on this passage that we're in, about the resurrection, he gives us a summary, a little summary with some little tidbits. Mark is the next one. He writes his gospel in the 50s. After being with Peter for so many years and the people of Rome begging him, hey, write down the things that Peter said because we know Peter can't write. Peter can dictate though. And so he wrote down all the things that Peter said and Peter said, hey, what Mark wrote is good. And then Luke in the 60s, we know that in 62 A.D., that was when Paul was still in Rome as a prisoner 
Well, guess what? Luke is able to talk to everybody that was an eyewitness, and he wrote down his gospel in the 60s. And he and Matthew and Mark wrote little summaries, little summaries of this event. You need to understand something. To the resurrection, the first ones to the tomb were all women. None of the apostles were the first ones there to the tomb. And so these guys are giving us their story. And John, when he wrote his gospel, sometime between 85 and 95 AD, he's adding to these stories. So I encourage you, these guys are not disagreeing with one another. And when John wrote this, he already knew the content of the other three. And today I want to make it plain to you, all four accounts, so that you can get the the breadth and depth and emotion of this amazing story. Now I want to rehash for you before we get there the final week of Jesus. We all know that the Last Supper was on the 14th of the Jewish month called Aviv or Abib or Nisan, depending on which way you want to pronounce it. In this 14th day is the Passover, and we know that it occurs on the 14th day every year because that's what we get from Scripture. I'm putting something before you now because I'm a Bible teacher and I can do it and I had the right to do this and no one could stop me. But I also do this because I want you to go deeper. Some say that Jesus was crucified in 30 AD. Some say that he was crucified in 33 AD. We have a big problem early on in the church even between the Jewish believers and the European or Gentile believers or non-Jewish believers. And so this is just a possibility. We don't know the exact date. It was 30, maybe it was 29, maybe it was 28, maybe it was 31, maybe it was 32, or maybe it was 33, as uh, Pastor Chang had said the other night. It might be. But Jesus did say he would spend three days and three nights in the tomb. And let me dispel something for you all. That could be three days of 12 hours and three nights of 12 hours in the ground. Or it could be three days, three separate days. So whether it's 33 AD or 30 AD, this is it. But I tell you all this just to let you know that whichever year it was, it fits. And whichever interpretation it is, it fits. Because Jesus either meant literal or he meant three days. That being said, let's get back into the story. The first day, Sunday the 10th. Sunday the 10th of Aviv. This is the Hebrew calendar. That's when Jesus came into, the, into Jerusalem. It was his triumphal entry. It was the day that the Passover lamb also had to be identified to sacrifice that Passover lamb on Passover. On the 11th, he cleared the temple. You know the story where he goes into the temple. You've made this temple a den of robbers and thieves. It's supposed to be a place of prayer for all nations. He drove them out on the 12th day. He argued with the leaders. He argued with all of them in front of everybody. He argued with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the scribes and the the teachers of law. He argued with them all and he beat them all and he did it in front of everybody and this angered them and they knew that they had to kill him before the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because the Passover happens on the 14th, but the Feast of Unleavened Bread happens from the 15th to the 21st of Aviv, and they needed him dead before then because this triumphal entry that he had, so many people in Jerusalem were praising his name. He has come, the king has come, and they had to get rid of him. On the 13th, 
of Aviv, he stayed in Bethany. He was going to Bethany every night. Bethany is a city. It's on the other side of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is right there next to Jerusalem. He stayed there, and that's where he had his head anointed. On the 14th, oh, you may notice something. The Hebrew day begins at night. So when the sun sets, it's a new day. That's why you may see up there it says night and day. On the 14th at night, they had their Passover meal, and that's what we covered all these weeks. The lessons from that Passover meal, that, the lessons from the Last Supper. Jesus also, he went to, uh, he got his disciples up and they walked down from that upper room and he continued to talk to them. Remember, I was telling you these things? And he came out of Jerusalem and he stood there in between the two hills. One is called Mount Moriah, the other one is called the Mount of Olives, and in the valley is the Kidron Valley. Well, he crossed over that valley. He crossed over the brook and he went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he was betrayed. Around two or three in the morning he was betrayed. And they did the trial and everything and they did all this stuff and had him convicted and put on the cross by 9 a.m. So by the time people are waking up ready to celebrate the Passover, daytime, they find out Jesus has been arrested, not only arrested, but he's hanging on a cross. It was not the same people that were praising his name that were crucifying him, just so you know, historically speaking and biblically speaking. Well, he was crucified and he died that day and they had to get him in the tomb because the first day of the Feast of, of Unleavened Bread is always a Sabbath. And so there's no work supposed to be done on the Sabbath. So they had to get him in the ground that day on the 14th. The next day at sundown is a high Sabbath. It's the, the Sabbath, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Regardless of what day of the week it falls on, it's a Sabbath. The next day is the normal Sabbath. And so if Jesus, if, and I say if my friends, I'm not saying that this is exactly what happened. This is just possibly what happened. If it was three days and three nights, then this is how it happened. If it was three literal days, then it happened on Friday. Here's the point, though. There was a Sabbath that happened. And all the disciples are stuck in Jerusalem. The crucifixion happened, and they had no place to go, so they had to stay in the houses that they were at in Jerusalem. And that sets up where we're going with this. They're stuck in Jerusalem. The ladies the night before bought a bunch of spices to go and anoint the body of Jesus. John, if you're in John chapter 20, we're going to look at the first two verses because John really focuses in on Mary Magdalene's story. And her story is very moving. Here's what we get. Verse 1 and 2. John 20, 1 and 2. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. You need to understand something. We already get from the other Gospels. There are a bunch of women that come to the tomb. Some of them are mentioned by name. Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is mentioned. 
Salome, the mother of James and John. Salome, the wife of Zebedee. Also, Joanna is mentioned. She's, her husband is one of Herod Antipas' officials, and she has been financially supporting Jesus. She is there. And on top of these ladies, there are other ladies. And since the disciples are still in Jerusalem, they're not far from the tomb. So what we get here is that they're arriving in almost like a, a female caravan bearing spices. And Mary gets there and sees this scene. The stones rolled away. And understand this, Jesus was resurrected before the sun came up. There were guards at this, at this tomb. The stone rolled away. The guards freaked out. They saw an angel from God and they freaked out. And the angel did it. And Jesus was resurrected. These ladies are coming here expecting to, how are we going to roll this stone away? The stone's rolled away. The tomb is empty. These ladies are in chaos. You need to understand this. And when you read all four together and you get it, they are all witnesses. And they all see things differently. And they see different things at different times. Mary freaks out. This is her teacher, her savior. She has been following him for a long time now. And he died. And understand, they are all perplexed at how did Jesus die? Was he, even though he said he was going to die, even though the scriptures say he was going to die, they still didn't get it. Even at the Last Supper, he told them he was going to die and come back to life. They still didn't get it. And so when Mary sees this scene, she freaks out. And she runs to tell the apostles, the disciples, what's happened. And for her, it's an empty tomb, and we don't know where his body is. Meanwhile, we find out not every lady came with her. That's why she said we in verse 2. We don't know where they've laid him. While she's doing this, ladies come up. And they say, oh my goodness, we've seen an angel. He's risen. And so what you have here is not a case of, in one of the Gospels it says that they didn't believe the women in what they were saying. It wasn't because women shouldn't be trusted in that time, which there's some truth to that, but this is in the church. These are fellow disciples with Jesus. These women are to be trusted, but their stories are perplexing because one is saying, or some are saying, he's not there, there's nothing going on. Others walk up and, the angel, I saw an angel, there were angels, we saw it, we saw it, he's risen. We don't know where he's at, though he's risen. And so it sounded like nonsense. And you got to understand Women are more emotional than men, typically. Let's go with that for a change. I'm not getting in trouble for this. Am I? <laughs> I'm going to look at my wife. <laughs> Women are more emotional, so this is emotional. You can imagine Mary is probably crying. Well, what happens next? Let's take a look. We're going to look at verses two, or, uh, sorry, 3 through 10. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and that's John, by the way, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. That's John. He came to the tomb first. They're not far. They're in Jerusalem, so running to the tomb is not a big deal. John is a faster runner than Peter. Just is what it is. But listen to this. He stopped at the tomb. He looked in and stopped. 
And he ran faster. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. He was afraid to go in. And what would you expect Peter to do? He's going to do exactly what you would expect if you know Peter. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb, then also entered. That was after Peter. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. So they went in there and saw. You know what it didn't say they saw? It didn't say that they saw any angels. They saw the empty tomb. And they went away. And this was after all the ladies were screaming this and that. And they came running. But it says here that they didn't understand the scripture. That he was supposed to rise from the dead. I have something very special to show you today. As a Bible teacher, it gives me great joy to share this with you. I want you to understand something. I've dealt with atheists and agnostics and other Christians who believe that we have no evidence of anything in the Bible. Well, you realize that's true if you just listen to a professor of whatever they're an expert of. Could be, in my case, professors of political science at University of Houston or professors of history, American history, saying you can't trust anything in the Bible. It's all made up. Well, I have a wonderful piece of evidence for you today. The great Isaiah scroll from the Dead Sea Scrolls it has been radiocarbon dated to be sometime between 350s BC, that's 350 years before Christ was born approximately, or 100 years before Christ was born, giving it a date, and, and it's also been analyzed by the style of writing, giving it a date of 125 years before Christ was born. Around that. We have this physical thing. And they didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus was to rise from the dead. And I'm going to read to you today the actual translation of this old chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. This is exactly what it is in the Hebrew. I will read it to you now. Who has believed our message? And, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender plant and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form and he had no majesty that we should look at him and had no attractiveness that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others and a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering and like one from whom people hide their faces and we despised him and we did not value him. Surely he has borne our sufferings and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken and struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that made us whole was upon him. And by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each of us to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, as a sheep that is 
before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. From detention and judgment, he was taken away. And who can even think about his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was stricken for the transgressions of my people. He died. Then they made his grave with the wicked and with rich people, his tomb. Tomb of the rich, Joseph of Arimathea. Although he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, sinless. Yet the Lord was willing to crush him, and he made him suffer. Although you make his soul an offering for sin, and he will see his offspring, he will see his offspring, and he will prolong his days, he will rise again. And the will of the Lord will triumph in his hand. Out of the suffering of his soul, he will see light and find satisfaction. And through his knowledge, his servant, the righteous one, will make many righteous. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore will I allot him a portion with the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many and made intercession for their transgressions. This was a prophecy about the Messiah, how he would die for their sins. From Isaiah 53, a beautiful chapter. And this is an actual picture of it. From long before it happened, this is not the only scripture that we have physical evidence of to where the events happen much later. We have other such evidences. Do you know who Jesus is? I want you to know who Jesus is. Jesus also said other things or other scriptures that apply to Jesus. In Psalm 110, it says, verse 1, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is David writing. David says that the Lord, who is Yahweh, Yahweh says to David's Lord, who is David's Lord? This is the one that will sit at the right hand of God until his enemies are made a footstool. Jesus rose and he sits at the right hand. And this is what he said to the Pharisees, to the Sanhedrin, to the religious leaders when he was under trial. He said, you will see this happen. You will see these things. And it also says in Daniel 7, 13, 14, we're going to talk about one of Jesus' favorite terms for himself, the Son of Man. Let's see this. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. This risen Jesus, the Son of Man, he is risen from the dead and goes before God the Most High, God the Father. And he will receive all the kingdoms of earth. And this is part of the reason when he explained this to them before the Sanhedrin, before the religious leaders, that they said, he's blasphemed. But what about all of his miracles? 
What about all the things he did? And here he is risen from the dead. Oh, I could, I could speak so many weeks on this kind of thing. But I'm running out of time. You're not, but I'm running out of time on this sermon. We forgot somebody. Somebody was outside while the apostles ran and went into the tomb. Somebody else ran too. Mary. Mary Magdalene ran. Let's start in verse 10. So the disciples went away again to their own homes, but Mary. Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. Can you imagine her weeping? For her, there's no hope. I love this picture. It's a great picture. She is weeping and she is in pain and her eyes are filled with tears. And so as she wept, she stooped. She's finally going to stoop in and look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Most people, when they encounter an angel, freak out about that. (laughs) Notice this about her, just to show you the depth of how distraught she is. She and how filled her eyes are with tears, okay? And when she had said this, she turned around and and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Of course she didn't know. Her eyes are filled with tears, but we're going to find out in a second. Jesus said to her, woman, he uses the generic term woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener through these tear-stained eyes, and she looks away as we're about to see. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, a word that she had heard so many times out of his mouth. They say it's one of the most beautiful things you can say to somebody is their first name. And he said it. And she turned, because she had turned away, crying. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, and let, let me say this, she says, Rabboni. And then she goes up to him and grabs him tightly and is clinging to her, or him, sorry, clinging to him so tightly, as you might expect somebody who's so relieved to see the one that they thought was dead now standing before them living. She's grabbing him so tightly and he says to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord And that he had said these things to her. So she went from this weeping mess. She was so filled with hope. 
And she came and was able to deliver the message. We also know from Scripture, after Jesus appeared to her, He appeared to the women as they were walking back and forth between the tomb and told them to go and tell the the disciples as well. But John really focused in on this. And let's focus in on what she said. I have seen the Lord. Have you? Have you seen the Lord? Amen. (laughs) Do you know who Jesus is? I could spend weeks and weeks unpacking the Old Testament for you because I get into God's Word and I love it. And I want you to do the same. Get into God's Word. You will find so many amazing things. Jesus is the one promised from Eve in Genesis 3 that will crush the serpent's head. Jesus is the one promised from Abraham. We see in Genesis 12 and in other places that all families of earth will be blessed through Abraham and through his seed. Jesus blesses all those families of the earth. All of us are blessed. There are people from every family on earth that are blessed because Jesus is the promised one from Abraham. He's also the one promised from Judah. In Genesis 49, it tells us that the kings will come from Judah, but one day, one will come from Judah that will rule all nations, and to him will be the obedience of all nations. Jesus is the one promised from David. David, King David, in 2 Samuel 7, he is given this amazing covenant that one would sit on his throne that would sit there forever. Jesus fulfills that. The Messiah is prophesied everywhere, in many places in the Old Testament. Do you know who Jesus is? All of this evidence, all of the things he fulfilled. Let's press on. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He died on Passover. And the Passover lamb died on Passover. And any that had the blood of the Passover lamb, the Lord passed over the wrath. Do you have the blood of Jesus on your heart today? In your life, is that what God is seeing when he sees you? It's not too late. It's not too late for you. He is the one that the Father provided on his mountain. As Abraham had sacrificed Isaac, it was a picture of God sacrificing his own son for our sins. He's the son of God. He is God with us, Emmanuel. It's not a proper name. That's who he is. In Isaiah 7, he is God with us condescending, as Pastor Evans said, made himself like man. He's one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's been telling us this the whole time during this supper. He's the Son of Man, as we saw in Daniel 7. He's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. What's Melchizedek? Go get in God's Word and find out. It's a priesthood higher than Levi. It's the reason that he can offer himself as a sacrifice. And it is what he is called in Psalm 110. It's what God has declared him. He's the only mediator between God and man. There is no other. He is also the rightful heir of all the kingdoms of the earth. You put your hope in Trump in 2024? You put your hope in Biden now? Pray for our leaders, amen? But our hope is in the one. Every kingdom has failed. America will as well. I'm sorry. It's just a fact. And I've had to deal with it myself. 
and we all have to deal with it. But there is a kingdom that will never fail. And he is the rightful heir of that kingdom. And as we saw in Isaiah 53, he's the suffering servant that paid the penalty that every human deserves. And that Romans 5, 8, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is God's great love that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. We're drawing to a close. I have one more Greek word to share with you. As I quickly skip over something. There we go. Whoops. It's too far. Jesus. In the Greek, Jesus. In the Hebrew, Yeshua or Yehoshua, or Yoshua, or Joshua. It all means the same thing. It means this. Yahweh is salvation. That's what it means. He is our salvation. Jesus is salvation, and he has risen indeed. Glory be to God. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the risen Savior. We thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. And we thank you that you died for our sins. And Lord, I know that those of us here, Lord, that don't know you, they can come to know you today. Today is the day, Lord, for them to come to know you. If it be your will, Lord, so move it. And if it be your will, Lord, for those Christians to rededicate themselves to you, Lord, and to be moved by your word, please, so be it, Lord. So be it. Amen. 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 In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeremy. Church, this is a message of hope that is available for everyone. The scripture says if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus was raised from the dead and believe your heart that he was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. Let me try that again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And there may be somebody here today who does not know the Lord, and this is your time. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now. We want to invite you to respond to that. And at the end of this service, there are going to be some elders at the front of the platform, and you can respond to that and come and talk with them, ask them questions. They'd be glad to pray with you and to hear from you and to tell you about the hope and the message of Jesus. This next song right here is a testimony. This is a song of someone who is getting saved. They got saved. They understood and believed who Jesus was. And so we want to share this song with you for the first time. If you know it, we invite you to sing along or catch on as we sing it together.
I'm broken at last, I got saved. Oh, I got saved. I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. I'm restored and made right. He got a hold of my life. I got Jesus. How could I want more? I've received nothing but goodness. I've tested and tasted your grace. I was so lost till I fell at the cross. Jesus, I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. I'm restored and made right. He got a hold of my life. I got Jesus. How could I want more? The love of God gave me His pardon. The love of God won't let me stay the same. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. I'm restored and made right. He got a hold of my life. I got Jesus. How could I want more? I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. Now, my friends, the time has come. They asked me to finish on John 20, and we're going to read the last two verses of John 20. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Today is the day, my friends. Come to know Him or apply God's Word and your life will be transformed for His glory. And there, as the elders come down, you have that opportunity. Come and talk to them. And may God be with you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.